Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being. From exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds, I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. If, like me, you thought performance mastery was purely about producing more in the shortest time possible, well, we're both wrong. Performance mastery is so much more than that. And our next guest, Vanessa Bennett, is here to tell us why. Vanessa is the CEO and co-founder of Next Evolution Performance, a cutting-edge business using neuroscience, sports psychology, and sports training principles to grow high-performing teams, leaders, entrepreneurs, and business owners while reducing burnout and fatigue. Vanessa has over 20 years in the financial services sector, nine years as a performance mastery coach. She has a master's in psychology and neuroscience from the King's College London and has over 20 years in the fitness industry as a group exercise coach. Vanessa has made a career out of helping people thrive and no matter who you are or what you do, there is so much in this chat for all of us. Enjoy. Vanessa Bennett. Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, the viewers can't see the visual that I have of you, but you've got this beautiful backdrop behind you. Where are you sitting right now? I do. I'm actually in my office. I've got a little private office, which is lovely. So I'm very COVID safe and I just walk into town. Um, so it's about a half an hour walk, which is nice. So I'm not any public transport. So yeah, it just kind of breaks up the day and it's just great to be able to have somewhere quiet. So when I do a lot of my work, workshops um, that I run with clients and, you know, group coaching and anything on a group um, that's on video is really hard to do where you've got like construction and leaf blowers Mm. and Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. So it's just (laughs) nice to have an office to come to. I think if anyone can invent a silent leaf blower, I will fund that company. (laughs) (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree. I'm sitting in my, what is actually my bedroom at my desk, but there's a courtyard just outside my window. And yesterday we had the lawnmower in there, then the whippersnipper, and then we had children. And I was like, thank God I'm not recording today. So, But look, we're going to jump into performance mastery today, um, a really interesting topic. And I'll be honest, I was sitting here going through my notes just now, and I was like, even knowing that we were going to have this chat today, I was like, am I practicing this? Am I measuring this for myself? So... I don't think I am, but I'm, <laughs> I'm keen to get into this conversation and really explore it as a, I guess, an individual topic. I think sometimes performance can be wrapped up in so many things when it comes to our work and our fitness performance. Um, so I'm looking forward to diving into that a little bit more with you today. Before we get there, though, can you give us a bit of a idea on who you are and what you do and what's got you to the point where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a high performance coach. I work with companies. I work with business owners, um, all shapes and sizes. So uh, I focus mostly on financial services, um, accountants, lawyers, 
engineers and school teachers. I'm not quite sure exactly how all they came to be, but um, mostly financial services because that's my background. So I actually started in financial services, what feels like a hundred years ago now, but um, that's my training and that's what I love doing for many years. And I got to quite senior levels um, working in funds management and running sales teams. And, uh, and all of that was great. And I was having a lot of fun and uh, the global financial crisis hit and we had to work harder I had to get the team to make sure that they didn't get burnt out and gosh there was a lot going on so I sort of um, we still hit all our targets all of that went really well um, and they came out the other side and it was like oh it's all a bit easy from here on in if you can do that so <laughs> I thought you know what I was seeing so many people getting burnt out in corporate worlds I was seeing so many people just be really busy but not necessarily that productive and people were exhausted and so I'm like there like there is a better way to do this and so I was uh leading my team a lot in these kind of principles and very pleased to say you know they didn't get burnt out um they had a great mindset or this kind of thing and that was when I thought you know what I think there's something in this and that was back in 2012 so high performance coaching wasn't as much of a thing back then for corporates it was more sort of known as executive coaching and you know kind of you know leaders leadership coaching 2012 five you know it's still quite old so um you know a lot of that was in there so it, it was something that was a little bit different I liked a lot of the science behind what I was seeing there was a lot more neuroscience starting to come out um and through from working in the fitness industry part-time as well I was able to get a lot of the coaching frameworks and new ideas coming out through that um and then take it and apply them in the corporate world and that was when I thought you know there's something in this and this is actually the bit that I want to do was to lead the team for high performance rather than you know sitting around a boardroom justifying my team's existence so uh, <laughs> <laughs> no powers that be um, so I thought you know what I think there's something here and so I had to kind of work out how to make that happen gave that some thought for a while and then I just went you know what I just need to take a leap of faith and I was 95% sure I was under something and 5% mm -hmm. totally wetting myself but I thought <laughs> Worst case scenario, you know, in two years' time, I can go back to financial services and someone will pay me to sell something. So I figured if that was my backup plan, it probably wasn't the worst thing that could have happened. So let's give it a go and see what happens. And then um, obviously during that time, you know, that started, people were exhausted. They were looking for ways to do things differently. So that actually worked out really great with the timing. And then, you know, burnout became classified as a thing or a syndrome is the technical word. Um, but yeah, you know, there was far more awareness on burnout, far more awareness on mental health problems that were starting to um, be more prevalent um, due to more stress and people having such connectivity all the time. I think the smartphone was probably the worst thing for humans, but possibly the best thing for my business um, because you know, it really made life a lot harder for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, so I haven't looked back since then and it's been going really well and it's been um, a pleasure to be able to work with people, especially through times like this with um, with the pandemic and everything. It's just been a bit of a mess. So people that we've been able to help through that, it's been really good. Mm. For the listeners reading the description of this chat or looking at the title in regards to performance mastery, they're probably thinking that we were about to sit down and, you know, how to do more in less time, you know, like that's performance mastery. But 
isn't it beautiful how you're looking at this? Uh, it's more in regards to the wellness aspect, I guess. You know, it's kind of the well-being. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned neuroscience. I know you've studied neuroscience. Um, like, isn't that uh, isn't it fascinating that it is about how to stay well and healthy? Yeah, it's really funny, you know, like, um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of this that, that is about how do you get more done in less time with less effort? I think that's probably the ultimate goal. But, you know, as we always say at Next Evolution Performance, it's like you can have uh, you can have well-being without high performance, but you can't have high performance without well-being. So uh, if you really want to reach those heights of, of performance, and I've always believed this, you know, from teaching, teaching classes part-time on top of my full-time job, I've always known that I'm far more productive and far healthier when I'm exercising um, and when I'm eating better and all of that kind of thing. That's not to say that I don't like to eat badly every so often, but <laughs> I'm certainly no saint. Um, we are recording this on what my husband and I call Fat Day Friday, which is our burger night. <laughs> But, um, but, you know, it's like there's so many things that we can do to really help our well-being. And, and if you expect to perform at your best and you don't have that well-being aspect, you are absolutely leaving part of your performance on the table. And this whole idea of just work hard, work hard, work hard without the well-being, that is so old school. And we have so much more research now to show that that is not how you achieve high performance. So if you try to do high performance without well-being, good luck. You know, you, it, you will be behind the eight ball. I love that saying you just said, uh, you can have well-being without performance, but you can't have performance without well-being. That's that's gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm taking it. Take it, steal it, um, use it. <laughs> A question we like to ask all of our guests at the start, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? I'd love to say I'm one of these people that just like jump out of bed. Yes, let's conquer the day. Um, I don't do that initially. Uh, Once I get up, then I'm in that kind of framework. So um, it's funny. I'm not one of these sort of really, you know, crazy morning people. I kind of get up in my time and, uh, you know, which is about like 6.30, but these people that are kind of like ready to conquer the day at 5 a.m., I I can't relate. Um, (laughs) So, but when I, when I get up in my time, then I'm, my brain is ready for business um so but in in all seriousness you know what gets me up um I have a lot to be grateful for you know I've got a wonderful husband and a a beautiful dog we don't have any kids but he's our kid and uh you know that's that's really awesome but definitely during the week like I just love my work like I would just work all the time if my body allowed because I just love it you know I love our clients I love helping people. I am, I am OCD about helping people to achieve more than they think they're capable of. So, um, I really love that aspect to it. I really love working with awesome people and helping them to become even more awesome. So my clients definitely get me out of bed. They're, they're fantastic people to work with. And, uh, and I love helping them to just get that extra bit out of them as well. Oh, that's beautiful. And what fantastic alignment to have, right? For that Mm -hmm. to be so important to you every morning. Yeah. So what's performance and what is the mastery of performance? Yeah. So performance means different things to different people, right? 
So whenever I'm coaching someone, it's we always do this as part of a fact find. If I'm in a one-on-one program with someone, it's always like, you know, what is it that you want to achieve out of this? Now, chances are we'll probably get them to aim just a little bit higher. Um, but for the most part, it's like, you know, performance is going to be different to different people. For some people, they, they do want to get more done in less time with less effort. For some people, they want to become better leaders so that they can get other people to uh, to be their best selves. Uh, for some people, it's just, I just want to get the same thing done um, easily so that I can spend more time with my family um, and so that I can look after my health. Um, it's, it's really different for everyone. So it's not like us to say, right, here is the kit bag to performance and this is the definition and this is how everyone should get there and it's a one-size-fits-all approach so performance is just being at your best always you know that's our tagline it's how do we help you to be at your best always um for whenever you need that energy so it's all about having lots of energy uh it's all around feeling healthy you know feeling tired and feeling meh is not a way to live um, you know, and as much as I love the concept of, are you okay day? It's like, when did okay become aspirational? Like really, you know, we're like, how have our, our, our standards have kind of dropped in this? People just accept that, oh, I have a big crazy job. Therefore I'm going to be really tired. Um, no. So how do we, how do we help people not only, um, achieve more of what they want to, but how do they also do it in a quality of life? that works for them. Um, so I think that's the performance aspect. And the mastery is that it's like, it's a journey, right? You don't go, right, now I have mastered performance. Um, it's something where our work constantly changes, our life demands um, constantly change and this whole work-life integration, you know, they're, they're, they're now crossed over more than ever because a lot of people are working from home, um, you know, either forced to be or choosing to be now and people have learned how to do things differently and maybe they don't have to be in the office five days a week and therefore even when we do go back to things being a little more normal. So, um, you know, the mastery aspect kind of, uh, signals that it's a journey. You know, you'll never be perfect at it, but if you've got the skills that you can constantly adapt to different frameworks, that's all you need. Mm. So the adaptation is a work in progress. Mm. And just as you mentioned there with how we are living right now, where home and work is off for a lot of us become one place now, are, are you seeing that in you know today in your business are you seeing people kind of coming with these sorts of challenges that we're that we're experiencing right now in the middle of this pandemic mm, absolutely it's really funny you know it's kind of like you look at people in different situations and then um you know the people who are living on their own um you know they're quite lonely it's it's terrible you know there's um the the singles bubbles that we have that's really important to have for these people um that would be hard i mean i know that if i was living on my own at like that just would have been awful for me for the last few years. I'm not a living on my own kind of person. And if I do live on my own, it's because I can go out and spend lots of time with friends. Um, so that's hard. But then you've got the people who have got like whole families living and working together and they're like, I can't concentrate. I've got, you know, I've got kids at me all the time and I'm trying to homeschool and, you know, and the, the, everything's just really hard. And so, you know, it doesn't seem to matter what position you're in, there's always pros and cons of both. Um, and so I think, you know, that's been challenging for a lot of people. So, um, so knowing how to apply a lot of these tools and get the most out of your days with as least, as little stress as possible, um, has been something that we all need to kind of 
reconsider and, and relearn out of that because we're also, you know, even if we're okay ourselves, we might be living with other people who are facing more challenges and they could be more stressed and things like that. So that can be challenging itself. So just organising this whole work-life integration and the stresses that when life stresses, um, it's really interesting that there's this concept um, called work-life spillover of stress. And it's a thing, and this this is a thing that gets researched, and and it was researched even pre the pandemic that it's a thing. So if you're stressed with things outside of work, chances are that's going to spill over into how you operate at work, and vice versa. So employers who think that I'll oh, just come in and you know just park your problems at the door and come on in, like that's not neuroscientifically a thing, all right? The work life stress spillover is a thing. Parking your problems at the door not scientifically a thing. So. Um, so we need to help people to do that anyway, you know, regardless of the whole working from home thing, but now that's absolutely exacerbated. So we need to realize that it's a thing and we need to realize, you know, how do we help people to manage their mindset, manage their stress levels. Um, and a lot of the stuff when it comes down to even just getting more done in less time with less effort, um, we do a lot of work just on that aspect. Um, and you, you know, if you can, if you can get four hours of work done in four hours, and we call these your hours of power, you know, managing what we call your, your cognitive energy, which is your mental energy, if you can master those four hours a day that you have available for heavy cognitive energy, um, that's, that's on average what research says it is. Um, if you can master those four hours a day, you'll get as much done in four hours as what most people get done in six to seven hours. So if you've got to all of a sudden fit in homeschooling or study or, you know, running the business and leading others, and you've got all this extra things on your to-do list just because of the predicament that you're in, um, I don't know, but I, I found it pretty useful when I was doing my master's to, to take, you know, only four hours to get six hours worth of work done. Like that's, that's useful. So if we can help people master their cognitive energy um, to just get more done in less time with less effort, let's face it, a lot of people's stresses would go away or at least be minimised. You know, most people would love a few extra hours in the day to get everything done. That overflow um, problem. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, how, that thing. Yeah, that thing. I mean, how often, though, do we hear, leave that at the door? right? I like know. leave those problems at the door. You can deal with it later. But you're saying that even from a neurological standpoint, neuroscience standpoint, it's not, that's not a thing. That's not possible. Yeah. So, I mean, you can learn it. All right. And it, that kind of comes down to like, the more you can learn about the research term, although the technical term that they use in, in the research papers is psychological capital. So that's when we become more flexible in our thinking, more helpful in our thinking, more able to flexibly move between different things and compartmentalize things. So you can train that and, you know, what is called psychological capital, but we just call it mental fitness, all right, because you can train it. So your brain is like a muscle. The way that you think is like a muscle. So you can train that so that you can get to a point where, um, you can go, all right, I'll deal with that later. And now I'm dealing with this and off I go, but that's, that's not, um, that's not kind of like standard modus operandi for most people. So it's in everyone's best interest that they train this kind of thing in the workplace as well. 
And can you talk to us a bit about the people that you coach at Next Evolution Performance? Do they, is there commonalities between these people? Is it a type of person that you typically see? We're probably seeing a lot of type A's, <laughs> people who are really like trying to just get everything done, um, people who have pretty high standards for themselves, um, but just generally people who are busy, you know, like there's lots on, right? People are busy and, and even put someone in lockdown and then they just work harder. And they take on more work and, you know, so people, people are still busy. And so then when you go back out outside of lockdown, um, you know, then you start to add in social engagements and social pressures and things like that. Um, people, I, I think there's one thing is just like people just, people feel like they're overwhelmed. So that's generally a lot of the people um, that we work with. We also do work a lot with um, leaders who uh, they're actually find themselves, but they need methods to coach others to be less overwhelmed and things like that. So we coach a lot of high performers who are actually doing a lot of things really well themselves, but they don't know then how to coach that in other people and, um, and get, you know, that sort of as people are moving through the ranks. So, um, yeah, so for the most part, we're, we're dealing with a lot of people who are already doing great things, um, but we either don't want them to get burnt out or their leaders don't want them to get burnt out. Um, and, yeah, we just want to help them to achieve. So generally, generally people who do want to do great things. Mm. And do you think performance mastery is for everyone? Do you think we're all capable of kind of taking this on and, and um ensuring our wellness but also performing at a high standard no matter what we do it's such a great question um so two angles of that i think you're right um the question is is everyone capable yes they are does everyone want to do it no they don't so i think there's two angles there um it's kind of like just leadership generally you know i really i used to hate it in the corporate world where people go oh that person doesn't have leadership skills that's like well, did you teach them leadership skills? No. It's like, well, that would be your bad leadership, not theirs. <laughs> so um, I think there's so many things that we can learn these days. A lot of these things used to be you have it or you don't. It's inherent or it's not. Um, and that's just not the case. We know that now. There's a lot of research to show that um, that we can learn a lot of new things and we can learn new skills. Um, but the trick is we need to want to do it. Um, I mean, we come across people all the time in our field of work who they are so addicted to being busy and overwhelmed that it's almost like that defines them and that's frightening. So they're defined by their feeling busy more so than what they are being defined by their results. So, um, so yeah, there's some people who just literally want to be busy <laughs> and be overwhelmed. Um, but there are other people who, who also probably underestimate, I, I always have the saying, you know, you, you, um, most people overestimate what they can achieve in a day and underestimate what they can achieve in a lifetime. So I think there's a lot of people who probably underestimate themselves and underestimate where they could get to. Um, that said, you know, if people are really content at whatever level they're at, then if they've already reached that level of contentment, I'd say kudos to you. So, you know, people who are already really content with what they're doing, if, that, if they're really happy with that, then, you know, why change that? They're happy. And, you know, you said at the start, you're coaching your clients, running this business. Um, you know, it's a big part of what gets you up or out of bed in the morning. Um, do you think that was always in you? Like, do you think that drive within you to kind of work with people, help people in this way, was that innate 
do you think it's kind of just taken this time to bubble to the surface or do you feel like, you know, you've, you, you have studied um, neuroscience? Um, do you think it was more of a, I don't want to say like a stumbling across it, but it was, you know, through your studies, you kind of realized that there was something here that you were really passionate about. Mm, yeah, it's a great question. And I think, I think inherently I have always liked helping people, um, helping people to perform better, um, you know, helping people to be at their best basically. So I really love seeing other people achieve more than they thought possible. Okay. So I've always really enjoyed that. And I think, um, you know, you kind of get more of that as you move up the ranks into, into leadership as well. So I kind of enjoyed that aspect, but I think that's probably a lot of why I've always taught classes as well, because I love that coaching aspect. I love that idea of like, not just telling someone what to do, but coaching it out of them, you know? So even if I teach classes, it's like, you know, you won't hear me say, do this, go harder, blah, blah, blah. It'd be like, can you get lower in that lunch? can you jump higher? Can you, you know, can we try, you know? So it's like, Hey, we're in it together. Let's give it a go and let's, let's see what happens. Um, so I think I've always liked that aspect. And then I think the more research came out to show that we can learn more of these skills. Um, and I was able to learn more of these skills as well. Right. So the more that I could learn, I was always interested for my own, um, uh, for my own sake. But the fact that, you know, I can learn this and then to, to be able to help others, it's definitely always been a passion of mine. Um, but I think it just it was one of these things that I started doing a bit more in the workplace and then I realised that this is probably a thing on its own and, uh, and let's go for that. So, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of always been there. But, you know, the more that you learn and the more that you work in a certain way and the more, the more that you work with other great people, um, the more you realise that that's a, you know, a bit more of a calling for me. And you've been teaching group exercise for 21 years. I started when I was three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Can you talk to us a bit about that journey and how it's played a, or played a role in where you are in your regards to your own performance mastery as well as the coaching of others? Yeah. I mean, I did start when I was quite young. So I did start when I was back at, um, back in university. Um, and it was kind of one of those things that I did as a part-time job and, uh, you know, other people were working in Maccas and Pizza Hut and things like that. And I was just like, oh, that fitness thing looks kind of fun. I might try that. <laughs> so I was doing more of that and I got into teaching. And again, cause I just, I love teaching and I love coaching. So, um, so I just, I did that as a bit of a part-time thing, thinking that it would just be my part-time fun job until I graduated from uni and got my real job. <laughs> and I actually gave up most of my classes except for my weekend classes um, when I started work. Um, I, I literally, I was about to, as, a, as I was about to start, and I was there for a week and I went, I reckon I can juggle this. So I I called up my group fitness manager at the time and I said, yeah, those weekday classes, I said, any chance that I might be able to get those back? She's like, well, I've given them away, but leave it with me. And, uh, <laughs> and lo and behold, I got my classes back. So, um, and then I started teaching at other gyms. And so it just became one of these things that I was usually teaching sort of somewhere on average around five to six classes a week on top of work. Um, and then as I got into more and more gyms in the city, that got easier because, you know, gyms were, um, gyms were easy to do in like, you know, lunchtime or after work or something like that. So, um, so I got into that and I was so grateful that I did because a, it kept me productive. It absolutely helped my mindset. 
Um, it was a way of staying fit without even really thinking about, oh, what am I going to do for fitness today? It was like when your name's on the timetable, you just kind of have to go, right? So, <laughs> so you know, you'd be there and and teach, and I met great people through that, um, and it was such a great way to um, to be able to connect with so many different people um, and to stay fit in the process and to really focus on my own productivity. You know, and, and back then we didn't have a whole stack of neuroscience saying, you know, like I, I knew inherently that I was better functioning if I did that, but I didn't have the science to back it up. Now, luckily, I have the science to back it up, which is great. Um, but, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that and I really enjoyed having that sort of direct um, direct contact with people as they were getting results and, and things like that. And it was just really lovely. You know, I still remember, gosh, when I was ages ago and, I, I taught this class on a Sunday afternoon and this lady, um, you know, she came, I knew her husband was really sick and she was a primary carer for him and she came up and she said, oh, this is the one hour a week that I get my time off. My son comes and looks after my husband. Um, and, um, and I'm like, oh, that's so nice. And then, and so, you know, got, got talking with her quite a bit and everything and then she hadn't been there for a little bit and she came back and I said, Oh, it's so great to see you. You know, how are you? And she said, Oh, you know, my husband passed away. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm still, still tearing up now. But, um, but I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. There's nothing I can say that's going to make anything better. And she said, no, Vanessa, what you, what you've done by having this class that I can come to every Sunday afternoon, you, it's made so much of a difference. You'll never know. And so, I think, you know, when you get that direct aspect, especially when, you you know, my full-time job is in financial services. So, you know, I didn't, you, you're never going to feel like you've got such an impact on someone like that. So, um, yeah, so to be able to do that and and know that, you know, every so often you just get some people who just go, oh, yeah, I've been fighting depression or, you know, fighting something and it's just been really good to come here and come to class. And, you know, you've just got to hear one of those stories, for all of the stories that I'm sure you don't hear. Um, it's just really nice to be part of that journey and it, it kind of helps me as much as it helps them. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. and it's, it's beautiful, right? Like, the, you know, the work that you're doing in both, I guess, a corporate setting, but also in the fitness setting in ways, there's so many similarities in what you're doing yeah. day to day. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny. I think part of me, um, like when I, when I started teaching, I actually found that cause I was actually inherently shy. I was quite shy um, at school, probably until the last few years. Um, and so I found that like, even just teaching classes when I was at university, it really helped me with my public speaking. Um, and it really helped me with, um, presenting. And now obviously like I literally present for a living, go figure. Um, (laughs) so, um, in all of my, you know, whether I'm coaching or I run a lot of workshops and do a lot of keynote presenting and things like that. So, um, so to have that, you know, if you can communicate, if you can spit out cues, um, and keep a class moving with, you know, some people taking information visually, some people take it in by listening to you, but you've got a lot of information to spit out really quickly as to, you know, you're doing one move, you're cueing the next move and you're thinking two moves ahead. So if you can do that articulately and, you know, hopefully entertain a crowd at the same time, um, you know, that's, that makes presenting on stage in any of my full-time work um, really quite easy. Yeah. Considering. I mean, that's a beautiful example of performance mastery there. Right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Why we're kind of, I guess on that topic, what are the main benefits to performance mastery? Like if I, if you, if I was sitting down with someone now saying, you know, I think you really need to 
look at your performance and how to master this and get better, but they're going to ask why, what would you, what would you tell them? I mean, I think overall it it just feels better, right? Like why be spitting your wheels? Why make things really hard? It's like, I'm all about the path of least resistance. And I always joke in the corporate world. I just go, you know what? The world needs more laziness. You know, we need to focus on what's the outcome and then how do we do that with the least amount of effort required? So I think a lot of people put a lot more effort into things than they get the return for. So I think this whole, you know, let's rethink how we're doing things and let's try to get the biggest amount of return and performance for the least amount of effort. So if we can get that, then that just, that just feels better. And then we, we have far more energy. Um, we have, we're operating better, far more um, from a physical and a mental perspective. So we've got better mental health, we'll have better physical health, better energy. And you know what? Quite frankly, you're just a little more delightful to be around. And do you see, is there still this thought around no pain, no gain? Like is that is that still a you know I guess an old way of thinking about how we get things done? Yeah, exactly. And I think you know some you know some of the things that we have changed in the in the athletic and the sports field is this idea of you know we don't train until we break something anymore. You know we 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 know about these concepts of periodization where we train hard and then we pull back and then we train hard and then we pull back and um, and so we need to do more of that in terms of how we operate ourselves in the corporate world as well so you know you don't turn up to um to run the marathon or the olympics on the day that you're exhausted um and you don't want to train so hard that you tear a hamstring and it takes you seven months to get back to race pace like that's just not a productive way to train it's also not a productive way to to work mentally either so um yeah so we need to take a lot more of these ideas from the sports world um and get back to that but i think it comes down to you know that used to be how people trained but i think it also comes down to you know we have been taught you know how many people have been brought up um from parents and teachers work harder work harder work harder work hard you'll get a better hsc result work harder you'll get a better graduate position work harder you'll get a a promotion more quickly like we've been taught that hard work is good and i'm not saying that we don't want to work hard, but we need to work smart. You know, there's no point spending seven hours doing something that should only take four. That's just hard. That's not smart. So, you know, you could work seven hours on two separate things that are propelling you forward into your goals, but spending seven hours to do something that you could do in four, that's just working hard. Mm. And we don't want to spend 70 years working hard and then thinking, bugger. Yeah. <laughs> whoa and you raise a good point there as well it's like people are living longer right there's um uh there's a wonderful professor by the name of linda gratton over at london business school and um she's written some great books all around this um, the last one's called the new long life it's all around this idea of like we're all going to live till about 100 right so this whole idea of like educate work hard till you're 60 and then retire like no one can afford to retire for that long that we're going to live anymore. You know, we need to, even if we don't want to work the same way as we worked previously, we're still probably going to want to work in some way, shape or form. So we actually can't work the same way as what our previous generations did. Okay. Because we're going to live longer. We're going to want to work in some way. So instead of this 
educate, work, retire. It's now educate, work, re-educate, work, re-educate, work, work differently, consult, um, you know, not work 80 hours a week. How do we still um, keep these people who want to be, uh, you know, really productive in society? Like, and, you know, but our idea is, it's like, so long as you work on these performance mastery tools, we should be able to work until we're 90 if we want to in whatever capacity we feel like we want to. But isn't it nice to have the choice? Okay, so not saying you're going to be wanting to work, you know, 60 hours a week when you're 90, um, but isn't it great to have the choice? You want to be physically able and you want to be mentally able. And, you know, I get people who are in their 40s and, like, you know, they they might have been on the path to complete burnout. And people come to me and it's like, oh, I've just got to get out of corporate and I'm 40. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you going to do? They're like, oh, I might become a yoga instructor. I'm like, you realise that they don't quite earn so much as you. Is that like, you know, is that really what you want to do for the next 60 years? Um, you know, I'm not saying don't be a yoga instructor, do that as well, you know, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying that it's like, if you, you know, people get stuck and people are like, well, I, I get stuck in this job because I've now got the kids in private school and I've now got, you know, the big mortgage and the big house and the, the cars and da, da, da. And it's like, I don't know how to get off because they're exhausted and they, you know, they realize they want to go and do something completely different. And it's like, no, we shouldn't have to get to that. We should be able to get them doing it all simultaneously. Um, you know, reskill, re-educate while you're doing something else. Um, maybe you do two, two things simultaneously. I love the fact that I get to teach still to this day and it's a different thing um, to my full-time job. Um, and I love them too. So it's, it's you know, we, we really want to be able to train and, and, and work in a way that we can do it until however long we want to. Mm. I mean, that's a really common thing. You know, I was I was a personal trainer for a number of years and a lot of the clients that I had, you know, were in that position of feeling stuck, you know, kind of in a career that they couldn't see themselves changing or getting to that point where it was, there was no choice but to make significant and drastic change. You know, it was almost like there was no, uh, there was no other path. There was no other, you know, slight divergent. It was like a full 180. It was like, I have to get completely out. So it's really interesting that we, I guess, if we're working on these mastery tools, performance mastery tools, um, that we can not only, I guess, maintain kind of where we're at, but also potentially get better at it um, to not feel as drained or stuck or feel like we need to make some sort of massive drastic change. That's right. And it's prevention is better than cure, right? You know, a lot of these people are like, you know, they almost have to suffer that burnout before they'll make a change. And what we're saying is you, you could do that or you could learn how to not get burnt out in the first place um and i think you know isn't that kind of a better way to go about it yeah that's right i guess you know looking back at some of the people that i was training it was it was definitely because they were they didn't see any other way but to make a drastic change out of what they were doing but yeah i see what you're saying here if it is about prevention along the way and then you probably you know of course you might get to that point still but you're probably less likely to get to a point where you're really needing to make such a drastic shift and change 
What do you think are some of the other obstacles that people have or what, you know, what are they telling you uh, about why they can't, you know, perform or, or work on these tools or, Mm. um, well, I think firstly, a lot of people just don't know them. You know, they're still relatively new in the scheme of things. Um, so it's these old belief systems around working hard, working hard, working hard. But it's also people not having access to the new information. You know, a lot of the neuroscience research that's come out is you're looking in the last five to 10 years. So that's quite new. You know, it's all very well to say, oh, this would be great for people to start learning this, you know, early on in their career but in fairness a lot of us didn't have it back then so it's about you know firstly having access to information um, and secondly wanting it you know because if we're going to incorporate some changes well yeah some changes do need to be made Um, and so people need to be open to those um, as well and it's actually not that hard when you have you know, when you have access to the information and someone to help you do it. So like, I'm a big believer in coaching of all sorts, you know, if, if whatever is not your expertise, find someone who does have that expertise. Um, so I like to ask myself the question. I ask a lot of my clients the questions, you know, what do you choose to be deliberately bad at? Cause then it's like them being in control rather than admitting that they're failing at something. <laughs> so Um, you know, so, I mean, for me, like, I mean, I, I have a personal trainer, like I work in the fitness industry and yet I still have a personal trainer, um, because I see the value in that. And I don't want to give, um, cognitive energy to come up with my own training programs, um, for myself. So I'll just pay someone to do that for me and to take me through. So I love that. Um, you know, I have people who help us out in the business from a business coaching perspective. Um, so it's all these kind of things where, you know, knowing that help is at hand and just because you don't have the information, go to someone who does, you know, hire experts in this area. Um, you know, and that's really why a lot of people come to us. You know, all of our clients are very smart. And if they wanted to read the academic research papers on this, they probably could. Um, but you know what? It's not their full-time job. It's my full-time job. So um, it's far easier to hire someone who can help you or to help your team, to help those around you with all of this than what it is to try to recreate the wheel and look at this all for yourself. You know, I always love it when people say, oh, is there a book that I can read on this? I'm like, really? You know, that like, <laughs> you know, so is there a book that I could read just to become a lawyer? Is it really, is it, can I just do that? And it's like, no, well, that's, that's like as silly as that, you know, my master's, I sort of added it up and it's like, just in my master's alone, you know, I read like circa 1300 academic papers. All right. And they were pages long and they were hard to decipher um, and all of that kind of thing. So it's like, you know what, it's people just want the easy way out, but it's like, there's a lot to it, but we can, you don't hire someone for the knowledge, you hire someone for the implementation get someone to help you implement it, all right? I trust that my personal trainer has a lot more knowledge than I do in that particular area. So I'm trusting him that he's got the knowledge, but I'm paying for the implementation. I turn up to my training session. I'm like, tell me what to do, all right? Like that's, it's the implementation that I'm paying for. Like people don't need more information. There is so much information that everyone has at their fingertips these days. You know, hire people that can help you to, disseminate that information and to help you to um, work out which bits of the information that you need, not somebody else. 
there's no one size fits all approach. You know, my personal trainer does different things with me to what he does with his other clients um, because we're all built differently and we all have different goals. So I don't want to have to go back and get, you know, qualified as a PT and do all that. It's like, I want someone who can understand my goals, understand um, my current fitness level, what I'm trying to achieve and you help me implement. So implementation is the biggest issue that stops people. People go, oh, I'm going to listen to things and read things and they feel like that's moving them forward. No, it's the implementation that moves you forward. So you can read and listen and whatever as much as you like, but if you don't implement, all right, that's what you need to hire someone for. It's the implementation is the key. That's what people bring to the table. Right. And when it comes to these tools and performance mastery overall, um, obviously you're working with a lot of corporates already. Um, do you think it's different when it comes to people running their own business or even, you know, at home parents, some of the busiest people in the whole, in the world? Um, <laughs> is, it, is it different? Is it a different approach? The tools are the same. It's how you implement that can be a little bit different. So, for example, like we coach a lot of businesses as well, um, and obviously I've gone from being in a corporate world to, to running a business, and I think there, there's different challenges, right? So when you run a business, you actually probably have more flexibility, but therefore the structure's not given to you, so you've got to think about these things. Um, whereas people working in corporate, they might feel like they're too stifled by structure and how do they try to implement these things. And so, you know, there's different ways. So it all, again, it comes down to the implementation. So the tools are the same. It's, it's how you implement. Um, when we come to people who are, you know, running a home as well, um, you know, again, it's the implementation, you know, there's so much of so much still that can be outsourced it's like where do you want to spend your energy okay and so you know if we've got um if we've got people who are at home or they're juggling kids and they're juggling work and all that kind of thing it's like you know where do you want to spend your energy and what are you going to be deliberately bad at and what are you going to outsource out of everything you're going to be deliberately bad at so many people just try to do so many things and it's like you just got to let that go like let it go let it go someone else can do that Someone else can do that <laughs> and, you know, we can save all of that. So um, I wouldn't say that, that the tools are different. I would say that the implementation is different for people. Right. And do you think to be a success at this, does there have to be purpose and passion behind it? Yeah. Anytime that you want to make a change, you need to know why you're doing something. So a lot of that when we're doing, um, even before I start coaching someone, I'll have a, a just a complimentary consult to start with um, because I want to get a feel for why do they want to do this? What's the impact of making this change? Um, what's the impact of not making changes? Um, and that can be from a health point of view. It can be from a profit point of view. Um, it can be from a family point of view, whatever it is. So um, we need to know that there's a why. Why do you want to do this? And what's the impact? And if we get enough there, then we'll take the client on. But if it's just like, oh, I just kind of felt like something I should do. Yeah, well, why? That's like, why do you want to lose weight? If there's not really a real reason, you probably won't. Mm. Do you find, like I've found that in fitness, you know, the why is so important. You know, the real driver, that deep down why is really the key. But often, you know, the people I was working with, they didn't know it. 
you know, it was kind of not until the digging started. (laughs) And I guess it's that implementation you're talking about, you know, having someone there that can help you implement this, but even getting to the why sometimes, sometimes you don't know, right? Sometimes you do need someone to help you kind of dig a little further to really understand what that why is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, getting to that for yourself is one thing, but definitely, you know, getting that for, for anyone that you're working with in any respect, you know, the more that people know why they're doing something, um, the more engaged they'll be in anything, you know, whether it's work, whether it's fitness, anything. And so, you know, I think it's always really important to ask people, you know, why is it that you're here at the gym today? And for some people, and it's interesting, you know, I used to, um, like one of the, I, I teach quite high, high energy, high impact classes. And so you just, a lot of people assume that people will just there, smash it and go hard every time. Um, but you know what? I teach lunchtime classes and a lot of people are just there to get away from their desks. And you know what? That's okay. So it's not, it's for me to provide the infrastructure in the class that if people want to smash it, they can smash it. I can help them, you know, ask themselves, can they go a little bit harder? But at the end of the day, it's like if you're just there to get away from your desk and that helps your mental health, welcome. You can march on the spot for 30 or 45 minutes for all I care. Welcome. Come on, come all. A hundred percent. I say that I say that sometimes in yoga, you know, if you're here, if you're actually here just to Shavasana for 45 minutes, you lay down, That's grab right. that pillow and lay down. You can, you can, you don't have to move. No one ever does, but I'm sure, I'm sure some people need to though, to be honest, like I'm sure 45 minutes of Shavasana would be much more, um, beneficial especially those lunchtime classes that's right much more restorative for a lot of people I was actually in a class in I remember I went up to I was in Byron Bay and I was participating in a yoga class I, I certainly don't teach yoga I can barely touch my toes you would laugh at me in a yoga class um but I was doing a yoga class and there was seriously this person like up the back who like I every time I was in a downward dog I only ever saw her in child's pose or shavasana and I'm like you are my new hero oh my gosh, I want to come up the back and spend some time with you because I think that's actually the main bit that I need from this class. <laughs> Kudos to you for, for having having the guts to do that. So well done. A hundred percent. We should make that a thing. That's and right. I will definitely not laugh at you, Vanessa. You are more than welcome to my yoga classes. Oh, thank you. I'll be up the back doing Shavasana for 45 minutes. I'll see you there. <laughs> I'll I'll introduce you as the guest. guest. Um, This is performance mastery at its finest. (laughs) Look, speaking of classes and going to the gym, um, how much does routine play a part in performance mastery? Oh, such a big thing, you know, and I found this more so than anything um, during lockdown, even for myself. I'd never really had to think about what workout I was doing that day I'd kind of turn up to my class and then I'd have and I run as well so I've got people that I run with and that's kind of a regular thing that that we've got as well so I kind of never really had to think about what am I doing today and then of course the gym's closed and I'm like oh wait I've got to hmm, what hmm, what am I going to do I've actually got to put some thought to this so um so I tried to keep it that my exercise time would still be the same as what my classes would have been to kind of you know keep up keep up momentum but yeah I just got a routine in the diary as quickly as I could the good thing was um 
you know, was that a lot of the a lot of the instructors now like we could actually train together because we weren't all either teaching at the same time or just tired. So <laughs> we could actually do stuff. So um, you know, where when there's been limits on, you know, how many people you can train with or whatever, but um, but just to be able to like, you know, meet up in the park and train with someone. Um, I still had my personal trainer in the first lockdown until the five kilometer radius put a kibosh on that. Um, but you know, it, it's just get it in the diary and get even, get even part of it. Right. And, um, and I just think that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've got 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just get it in the diary that that's just what you do. And that just becomes your next meeting and you just do it. Just don't even think about it because we can all justify why we should be doing something else at that particular point in time. So, um, so routine, just creating a habit, just get it in the diary, create a habit, put the, like my exercise regimes are basically in the diary a year in advance. So it's just in the diary and things work around so that if something comes up that I have to, um, I can't exercise at that time because I've got a presentation or something like that, then, um, it gets moved. But if it's not in the diary as a starting point, it doesn't even get moved. It just, it just doesn't get done. So habits are a massive thing. And would you say these performance mastery tools can be applied equally to our fitness performance? Yeah, it's really interesting. We actually take a lot of the sports training principles mm. into developing these tools for the workforce. Interesting. Um, so a lot of this idea of periodization, so training heavy and then training light and training somewhere in the middle. Um, we do a lot of that in terms of how do you manage your cognitive energy through the day? You know, you've got, if you've got four hours of, of heavy cognitive work available in your brain um, each day, well, how do you maximise that? You know, so it's, it's kind of like don't train when you're tired. You know, when you're tired, go and go and do 45 minutes of Shavasana. You know, that's what your body needs, so that's what you should do. Um, so it's the same thing when you're trying to get through things at work. It's like don't work on that really heavy thing when your brain's just going enough. So it's applying those kind of principles into like we need more athletic principles in how we manage our cognitive energy during the day at work. And a big part of what we do is help is help people understand cognitive energy and how it's actually very similar to physical energy. In fact, the two are very much related. That is, I mean, that's fascinating, right? Like that's, that's really cool. And I guess for the listeners out there, um, you know, we assume a lot of them are Virgin Active members, so who are training. I mean, how interesting to be able to put those sorts of tools also into your work, career, progression, your cognitive ability. Um, I think that's a really beautiful kind of link. And I think, I think we often see our fitness life in our work life is very separate, right? Like it's kind of, we're always having to take one to give to the other and vice versa. But I, I, yeah, I really like the sound of how these two things are kind of coming together in a way. They are. And the more that you can apply it, like whatever you do in the fitness world, like I always think that if people have that discipline to um, look after themselves physically, then they have the discipline to structure their days, weeks, months, and years in a way that they will perform better at work as well. So um, I know HR people are probably, you know, not going to be happy that I say this, um, but, you know, when I'm like, when I was hiring people in, um, in, when I worked in financial services, I always used to put my fitness on my CV. Okay, so um, I would put in there that, yes, I run half marathons and I teach fitness classes. And it was kind of code 
for if you're also into that kind of stuff, you and I will get along great. And if the fact that that means nothing to you on my CV, you're not my people and I don't need to work with you. So I kind of took it the other way as well. It's kind of like if you, if people's outside interests that they mentioned on the as the throwaway last line of their CV was nothing active, I, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll, you know, all things being equal, probably I'll give the interview to someone who is active. Look, that's really interesting. It reminds me only a couple of weeks ago, I was going for a walk with a friend. Um, it was a lunchtime walk and she was jumping on teams. And I was like, we we're walking. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> um, she said, I just like, you know, um, you can see when you've been away from your desk for a while, right? So she's like, I just like to check in so everyone knows that I'm still at my desk. I'm like, but you're not at your desk. <laughs> you're, you're coming for a lunchtime walk. Like, isn't it, isn't it seen as important that you would take this time? You know, like it's time for yourself. It is lunchtime. It's not, you know, you're not in the middle of a work period. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting to see that there are still some, I guess, workplaces and um, people out there that don't see the value in exercise, well-being, having a, a lunchtime walk, um, that's a real shame, right? I know. And and we need to flip it to be the opposite. Like we need to, instead of glorifying people who are just chained to their desk all the time and always available, we need to start flipping um, what we see as performance. And as leaders, you know, I would always like, I'd walk into the office in the morning and go, great, what exercise is everyone doing today? You know, and, and people were like, uh, um, really? Um, from other teams, but it's like that was the culture that we had in our team and because that way I knew that people were thinking more clearly. Um, you know, if you look at the MRI of a brain of someone that's been sitting down for two hours versus the MRI of a brain of someone that's just been for a beautiful brisk walk for 20 minutes, they're chalk and cheese. One is a step up from dead, you know, and, and the other is like creating new neurons and being strategic and creative and productive. It's like, why would I want people in my team to have a brain that's a step up from dead? Seriously. <laughs> so, you know, we need to start flipping it on its head that performance is, um, do you exercise? Do you sleep well? Do you eat well? All of these kind of things are absolutely linked to performance. So we want to see people doing more of that. We want to encourage people doing more of that. And more to the point, we need to reward people for doing that. Yes. And you've just touched on my next question around what are the factors that help us to improve performance? And we've done podcast episodes on sleep and nutrition already, obviously exercise. Are there other, are there other things that you work with? Um, in regards to improving people's performance? Yeah, so I mean, we take a bit of a three-pronged approach. So we call it physical, mental, neural. So physical is obviously things that most people think about, like their exercise, their sleep, um, their nutrition, all of these kind of things. But it's also um, now just even your environment. You know, do you have lots of natural light? Do you get out for a walk? Um, you know, at the moment it's like, do you have leaf blowers consistently, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. creating noise while you're trying to work? Um, you know, ergonomics, you know, people have not got their office desks um, at the start of the pandemic. People are now much better in terms of having a proper 
a proper chair, but, you know, there was a lot of people that didn't have their physical things um, set up at the start of the pandemic. So um, so anything that affects your physical being is super important to, to be on top of. Um, and then the, the neural side of things, that is how do we, um, what we touched on previously, like your cognitive energy in terms of how do we spend less of it unnecessarily during the day. Stop spending seven hours doing something you can join for. That makes no sense just by mastering your cognitive energy. So structuring your days, your weeks, your months, your years better based on a lot of those periodization principles, um, based on your personal pace, your natural focus time. Some people should be focusing for long periods. Some people should be focusing for short periods, um, really maximizing the effectiveness of your cognitive energy. And then the third prong is your mental side of things. So this is your mindset for performance. So this is that psychological capital, um, that mental fitness that we spoke about earlier. And the more that you can train your brain mentally, um, you know, that's going to put you in really good stead for being open to trying new things, to um, being better at emotional regulation, to making sure that your brain is in the right stress zone, not too much, not too little, not feeling overwhelmed, um, all of those kind of things. And that's also, you know, seeing the difference. There's a, there's a really great book that I do love. I know this won't solve all your problems, but, um, you know, one of, the, one of the great books that I do love is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And it's all around, you know, in any situation that could be seen as suboptimal, um, there will be 90% of the people that will see it as an obstacle and 10% of people will see it as an opportunity. So if you have a higher level of mental fitness before that hits, all right, so this whole idea of, oh, I've got to like, this is a great, we've got a bad experience so we can, you know, use this time to build resilience, it's like, no, that's a dumb time to build it. That would be like saying, I'm going to build my running fitness starting on marathon day. You know, <laughs> it's like we build our physical fitness in the lead up to before we need it. We need to do that mentally. And so, you know, we could see people at the start of the pandemic and even, you know, how many lockdowns in for some people in the country, um, you know, people with that higher level of mental fitness as a starting point and people who continued to work on their mental fitness um, fared much better and were looking for opportunities out of this pandemic rather than looking for obstacles. Um, so, yeah, so that's a, it's a three-pronged approach, physical, mental and neural is, is how we approach it. And do you think that three-pronged approach also works similarly for, um, you know, home life, family life, fitness, I guess your socialness? Do you think it's it, it, it carries across? Yeah, it does. And I, you raise a good point on the social side of things um, is that, you know, if you're really trying to sort of, if you're trying to increase your performance in whatever way, shape or form it is, it's like you need to hang around, like the people that you hang around are just, it's so crucial. So, you know, if you're hanging around the right people, um, you know, you're more likely to be successful at whatever it is that you want to do. And, and even when it comes down to, you know, the physical side of things, I mean, you would have seen it before, um, you know, all the time. It's like, you know, people are like trying to lose weight or something like that. And then it's, but all their friends are overweight and all their friends go from lunch, long lunch into dinner. And that lifestyle doesn't fit their goal. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's these things where it's like, 
you know, if you if you want to be fit, just get some fit friends. Like that's honestly the easiest way to do it, right? <laughs> and we'll start to to rub off on you. You know, when you've got people that you catch up with to go for a run versus to go out for lunch, it's a whole different ballgame. And how do you know we're on the right track? You know, we've started, we're moving along, but how? What are what are the telltale signs that things are working? Yeah, I think um, well, especially in the fitness side of things, I think it's just just start. Just start and get the habit. And it's probably the same, you know, for anything that you're doing in the workplace as well. But just start and get the habit and it and it gets easier. So I think it's that feeling of like it's starting to feel easier. I think that's probably, you know, one of the things. Things are always going to be hard to start with and don't be afraid to be a beginner at things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's just one of those things where it's just start and it will get easier. And, and I think... Trust the process. Trust the process. So, you know, just sort of doing it three times and going, oh, I'm not like, I'm not fit yet, or I haven't lost 20 kilos yet, or whatever. It's like, mm, it's not going to happen that way. All right. So just trust the process and just keep doing the work and you'll see results. And I think detach from the outcome. Once you know what it is that you want to do to get that outcome, just detach from the outcome and just do the journey just do the journey and you know what and I, and I love you know even group fitness you know it's such a great way it's like you can bring other people to come with you I know so many people um, meet people through group fitness like it's a great way to make it social you know all of these kind of things is so important um, making it social having the right people around you yeah so you know it's working when you're just starting to enjoy life a little more and things are getting a little easier it's not going to happen quickly um, but just knowing that you're on the right track. Beautiful. And you've studied psychology and neuroscience. How has that helped in what you're doing with your business? Yeah, so, I mean, the neuroscience is a really important one. It's kind of like think about psychology and neuroscience being the mind and the brain. So the psychology is how we think and we can choose to think differently and we can choose to build better neural pathways that support our goals. Um, but the neuroscience is the neural pathway itself. All right. So that's the physical thing about the brain. Um, so for example, it's, there's a great study on, um, on London taxi drivers and you know how they've got to pass a knowledge test and they and you know, London streets are just a nightmare and they've got to know how to get the shortcuts and everything. So their memory is amazing. So if you, um, uh, this study put a whole bunch of taxi drivers into MRIs and because they use their brains so much from a memory point of view, the part of, one of the parts of the brain that's quite associated with memory, the hippocampus, um, is actually enlarged in most London taxi drivers. So physically enlarged volume, hippocampal volume is larger. And then ironically, you put them back in it once they've retired and it starts to return back to normal size. So I think what I love about the neuroscience is it just gives that um, this is what's happening in your brain. So it's all very well to say, hey, let's just choose to think differently or choose to be more positive or whatever. It doesn't really work. All right. So we need to do it gradually. Just like, you know, you're going to have a very different training program um, for different clients. All right. We need a different mental fitness program for different clients as well. Okay. And so 
what I love about it is that when you understand how the brain literally changes shape with the way that you think, like if you look at people that have, um, uh, that are suffering depression, um, they've got certain parts of the brain to do with a negative effect system, which are enlarged compared to the prefrontal cortex, which is how do we think more flexibly and, and helpfully about things. So when your brain, it's called neuroplasticity, which shows that your brain is literally like a muscle. So this is why I love it because I've got so much analogies with fitness and mental. So, um, so, you know, when someone just goes, Oh, just, just think happy thoughts. It's like whatever. But when you can see how that literally changes the shape of your brain, it's like, Oh, Oh, that's interesting. Now I'm listening. So I think it's just given a lot more, um, credence to why we should do something, you know, rather than just like, Oh, it'll feel better. It's like, here's, here's your, here's the brain, right? And here's what happens if you continue to think this way. Here's what happens if you can choose to think this way. And so, you know, I'm not saying that, that every, every mental illness is preventable. It's definitely not, please. I'm not saying that. Um, but what I am saying is that, you know, in a really high percentage of cases, it would have been preventable if we knew more about the intersection of psychology and neuroscience before it got to a point which was really problematic. So again, we're all about prevention rather than cure. It's like you go to the gym and you train your biceps. If you forget to train your triceps, you can see that, right? Okay, it's like you will see the biceps getting bigger, but the triceps won't be. So it's kind of like we can see that physically when we train. Um, Literally the same kind of thing is happening in the brain. We just can't see it without an MRI. But thanks to MRIs, we now have all this, you know, beautiful research about these kind of things. And it's, again, just another, you know, really hammering home that point that performance mastery isn't just about, you know, it isn't purely just about working harder. It is around, it's mental health, it's physical health, it's social health, it's being, a, you know, better person at home. It really is encompassing really all of wellness, right? The, all the dimensions, the seven dimensions of wellness, it's really touching on absolutely all of them. And no, no matter who you are or what you do for work, but also, you know, who you are at home and who you are at the gym. It's, it's, it is much broader. And as I said at the start, I was like, Oh, am I, am I tracking my performance? And obviously it it is a much bigger thing than just tracking my output when it comes to work. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the fact that I, I just think it's so important that we all really incorporate this idea of just wellness generally, um, physical and mental, uh, it's just so important to contribute to to that overall work output as well. It's like you know, it just it can't stress enough. You know, it comes back to what we said earlier. It's you know, you can have wellness without performance, but you can't have performance without wellness. Mm. Okay, so f- for the listeners today, uh, and I know we're not going to just give them a book and say go and read this, and you'll be a, <laughs> you'll be a master of performance at the end of the book. Um, but are there any little takeaways or tips that we could implement today? Yeah. So there's some really simple ones. And, um, you know, I just think even just one of these really easy things around breathing, you know, like so many people actually don't know how to breathe anymore. It's frightening. You know, people are breathing more shallowly. They're breathing with the chest and it sends a message to the brain that I'm about to run away from a saber toothed tiger. Therefore I'm not safe. So it keeps us in this perpetual level of stress. 
Um, and so I think one of the easiest ways for people to, to calm that down is to make sure that they're breathing, you know, in and out, probably about five counts in, five counts out, um, but with the diaphragm, so filling the belly, not the chest. And what that does is it just controls um, a part of the brain called the amygdala, which if it hijacks the way that we're thinking, we can't think rationally. So it's one of those things that's like, I'm really, really stressed. I'm really, really stressed. I've got a whole bunch of stuff to get done. But when you're thinking like that, it's actually neuroscientifically impossible to hash a rational plan of what to do about the situation. So you need to breathe first and then you can deal with that. Um, But I think a couple of things around um, just forming habits, just make sure that you get the movement in like just every day, sweaty, sweaty every day right and I don't care if it's like 15 to 20 minutes like just do it all right (laughs) it's like the the benefits that it has like that's that's that is kind of a one-size-fits-all thing very very few things that we do is a one-size-fits-all thing but that's definitely that's definitely one of those um the other things as well is like especially while working from home you know make sure that you take breaks so those walking breaks um you know you don't want to be sitting down for like two hours max All right. I would say, you know, arguably every hour. So the way that I get around that is I just drink lots and lots of water, which means I literally need to go to the bathroom every hour. So so that is a great thing to do. Um, So having, you know, back to back to back to back meetings, it's like, no, you need 15 minutes between meetings, cut them shorter, make them 45 minutes instead of an hour, make them 20 minutes instead of 30 minutes. Um, But just as a starting point, get those breaks in. Um, so that you can give your brain a break, give your body a break, get up and move. And then obviously, you know, um, when it comes to mental fitness and, and structuring your days around, you know, your cognitive energy, that starts to get more complicated. But, um, but we, do, we do have an online course around the, um, the cognitive energy side of things to help people structure their days, weeks, months and years better. Um, and that is a great way to learn the tools and to help people to um, to learn their application as well in a really cost-effective way. So if you're not about to go out and hire a performance coach, um, you know, you could do a lot worse than, than jump onto that course. It's a six-week course um, and it's just a little bit of information, drip-fed every week and you just have a week to then play with it and, and start to work out how you're going to incorporate it. But um, that there's a lot of neuroscience in there with the practical application of, well, what do I do with this? So it's a good mix of the why as well as, well, how am I going to use it? So um, so I would highly encourage people to jump onto, that's our online training platform, which is nextevolutionenergy.com. And um, and there is a great way to, to jump onto that course. And in eight modules, um, you'll have great tools on how to improve your performance to get that, you know, why do, why do six to seven hours when you can do it in four so that's a big flavor of that particular course. So that's a nice way to start on that one. Awesome. Some great takeaways right there. And guys, we'll make sure we have the link uh, in the show notes as well. So just check out the show notes after you fin- after we finish. I also like the breaks, you know, it's kind of, I don't know how to say it delicately, but you're not weak by taking a break. You know, it's kind of, you're actually, you're encouraging better performance. You're, you're going to come back fresher, clearer, more calm and ready to take on the next tough bit of work or the next meeting or whatever you need to do. That's right. So we need to redefine performance around that, right? Like we need to, um, we need to reward people for taking those breaks rather than feel like people, you know, we don't want people to feel guilty because they're taking that break. We need to reward people for doing that. Yeah. What about 
taking a break to go eat half a block of Cadbury's family chocolate. Is that <laughs> a family block of Cadbury's? Oh, how good is a family block of Cadbury's? Honestly, when I, when I look back to my undergrad, I'm like, gosh, during Stuvac, I used to eat like a block a day. That's frightening. Um, luckily, I was teaching a lot of classes at the same time because otherwise I would look very differently now, I think. <laughs> um, but, you know, but go easy on yourself. Like I eat chocolate every day. Yeah, so do I. Full, full disclosure, I don't eat a half a family block these days, but <laughs> but I have a few little tasty morsels that I just have every day and I love it. And it's everything in moderation, right? Like don't, don't starve yourself, you know. Like I think if you're eating pretty, pretty well and getting – I think of I think of it as fuel, right? And interestingly enough, like your brain is metabolically hungry. So out of the fuel that you take into your body, 20 to 25% goes to your brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you kind of think of it that way, it's like, oh, oh, okay, I should probably be a bit careful as to what I put in. Um, but, you know, so think of it as fuel. So it's like, you know what, if you eat pretty well 70 to 80% of the time and you've got enough fuel in there to do your exercise, um, you've got enough fuel in there to think well um, and have your brain working well. It's you know what? It's okay to have a few of the other bits as well. Totally fine. So twenty percent going to the brain. That I, yeah, it was. I think a lot of us should write that on the desk, <laughs> on the fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the fridge. I, on the yeah. fridge. I think exactly. But it's true. Like when I was studying um, during my masters, you know, and I, and I have some weekends where I did have um, like assessments, and therefore I did have to spend like a lot of time doing this work, and it was like, how do I do this? But um, you know, it's interesting. Like you, you actually find yourself feeling really hungry even though you're actually spending a fair bit of time sitting down. And, and that's why it's like the more that you're using this cognitive energy in your brain, like that's why you're feeling hungry. So, you know, we've got to factor that in that, that that's a bad combination. If you're sitting on, at your desk all day and you're using a bucket load of cognitive energy, it's making you feel hungry, but you're not actually doing any movement to, to work it off. Like, I don't know, you don't need a master's in maths to work that out like that's just a bit of basic budgeting right exactly you just touched on it a bit earlier around you know um we'll put the link in there for the guys to be able to you know have a look at this online course but if they were thinking about getting a performance coach what are the some of the benefits Mm. i always think that like if people want to get these results they will be able to get them on their own in some way, shape or form. But you know what? The research that you're going to have to do and the time that it's going to take you to implement and whether or not you get the implementation in the most effective way for you, that's like it's just going to take you longer. You know, again, why, why spend six hours doing something that you could do in three or four? You know, why take two years to get somewhere that someone else could help you get there in three months? You know, so I think it's, it's, that's probably one of the reasons it's like, it just shorthands these kind of things, you know, and, and you don't want to be researching a bucket load of information that's actually not relevant to you. So it just, it just shorthands it. Any form of coach will just shorthand it for you. And that, and that's whether it's in the fitness industry, a business coach, a performance coach, um, you know, any form of coach, if they're doing the right thing of working out what your goals currently are, why they're important to you 
and then they really know their stuff around mindset and you know be careful there's a lot of people who call themselves mindset coaches but you know they couldn't under they 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 would find it harder to explain how neuroplasticity actually works um you know be very careful about that so um so making sure that you've got someone with those with that level of expertise um but who's very much going to be listening to where are you at where do you want to get to and let's get you there in the easiest way possible for you so I could have someone who's got who's in a similar position to someone else and they want to get to a similar position to someone else but they're going to go about it in two completely different ways and that's okay so a performance coach will help you to identify that beautiful and final question something we like to ask all of our guests um what do you want more than anything else in this life? I would love for my work to be redundant. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> I would love, I would love a world where people are taught really early on in the piece that they can choose their thoughts and therefore they can choose how their brain is going to be built to function. I would love a world where people can eradicate burnout because we have redefined performance. We've redefined performance as taking breaks, sleeping, eating well, exercise, um, to contribute to more productivity. Um, I would love a world where we reduce the, the stigma of focusing on mental health. Okay, mental health is good. What, when most people talk about mental health, they're actually talking about mental ill health. We want a world where people talk about mental health in a way to attain it and preserve it and always be able to have it until and rather than, you know, wait until they don't and then we have to fix. All right. And, and again, you know, there are certain certain um, certain forms of mental ill health, which, you know, there are, you know, further genetics and all that kind of stuff. We get that, you know, no problems at all. But all the things that are preventable, you know, so if we can live in a world where everyone knows how to perform at their best without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling tired and meh and being able to cope with the normal stresses of life. It's not about being deluded and, and, and happy all the time. It's about, you know, bad stuff happens, but we know how to deal. Let's have helpful thinking. Um, let's not fall to pieces over things. All right. It's, a, it's around um, just a world without burnout, a world with self-responsibility where everyone has access to these tools and everyone can implement them and take responsibility to implement them in a way that's that's great for them. You know, and, and we're seeing this in the pandemic. It's like people are like, you know, people need to take responsibility for their own immune systems. You know, like they're expecting it to be everyone else's, um, you know, problem to keep them safe. And it's like, no, like... Your immune system is your responsibility. There is so much more that people can do to help that. And that helps their stress levels. You know, if your stress levels are good, you have a higher immune system. Um, you, you can pump all the vitamin C that you like, but if you don't look after your stress levels, the effectiveness of your immune system is depressed. So, you know, there's so much more that we can do. So I think a world where we have no burnout, where we have accountability, where we have this um, self-responsibility for people to choose the way that they think and to think helpfully. Um, you know, I don't know if we're a long way off that, but that's in my perfect world. We teach this early. We teach it to kids and we just know this stuff and we know how to do it and we know how to prevent burnout 
and and all these nasties that go with it you know we can do so much more to promote our physical and mental health and they go together so in in my perfect world i would love it where i am completely redundant that is a beautiful vision and i thank you for doing the work that you're doing to bring that vision to life um and also a huge thanks for redefining what performance looks like for me you know it's kind of as i said at the start i was just thinking about tracking my output you know but actually it is much greater than that um it's much more holistic and it is about every single one of us so thank you very much for joining us on the virgin active minds podcast where can people find you if they want to reach out yeah, absolutely. So I'm really active on LinkedIn. So I'm very easy to follow on LinkedIn, Vanessa Bennett at Next Evolution Performance. Uh, should be quite easy to find. Um, but our websites as well. So um, anyone can contact us. And I'm very, very happy to have a, a consultation with anyone for 15 minutes who might be interested in this kind of space. Um, and, you know, how, how a performance coach might be able to help them or even just give them a few tips to get them started with. So our website is Next evolutionperformance.com and that also can take you um, to nextevolutionenergy.com or you can just go straight to nextevolutionenergy.com and that is our online course. So that is something because we believe that everyone deserves to have access to this. Um, it, shouldn't be so, it shouldn't be something that people can, um, you know, only people who can afford to have their own personal performance coach um, has access to. So by us doing our online training program, Next Evolution Energy. Um, the first course that's on there is called the Neuroscience of Getting More Done. So that sounds pretty good, right? So a bit of neuroscience in there for you, but some really great practical tools, more to the point. You don't need the neuroscience on its own. You need the practical tools to go with it, okay? Um, and so it's at a really great price point when, you know, hopefully so many people can have access to that that, um, that we wouldn't necessarily be able to all coach one-on-one. So, um, yeah, and we've also got workshops as well. We've got online workshops on nextevolutionperformance.com. We've got... Um, uh, live workshops that anyone can can join in. So we've actually got a series coming up in October and November. So again, a really great price point to be in a workshop. You know, it's online, it's with other people. Um, so it's interactive, um, all done on Zoom. So anyone can come from far and wide, again, at a much, um, a much more cost-effective price point than having your own performance coach. So um, and they are facilitated by by me directly and sometimes my business partner as well. Um, Alex, she's over in Auckland and she's amazing too. So, um, yeah, so, so many different ways that people can get access to this. We're very passionate about making sure that more people can have access to these tools so that hopefully we get that world where I'm made redundant one day. We'll see how we go. <laughs> That's right. Keep that vision in mind. And thank you for, you know, making it accessible to so many as well. So we'll also, guys, we'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes so you know where to go. Vanessa, it's been so beautiful chatting to you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to hold it to you once our clubs are open. You'll need to come and do Shavasana in one of my classes. Yes, I totally will. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll come and do one of your um, high energy classes somewhere as well. <laughs> Exactly. That was going to be a whole different experience. But, uh, yeah, but equally, equally as equally important, right? important. Exactly. It's all important. We don't just do one <laughs> thing. We do it all. All about balance. That's right. Vanessa, thank you so much. 
You can have well-being without performance, but you can't have performance without well-being. That is my take home from today's episode. Thank you so much for pressing play today. If you're loving this podcast, then please hit subscribe and tell all your friends and family about the Virgin Active Minds podcast. Until next time, bye for now.